review of Natalie's book yesterday will note that that instruction from the book of Deuteronomy was um, included in the, uh, in the title of the review. Uh, and when Stu asked me to come and preach, I think he, he actually had Choose Life in mind. Uh, I recall you said that to me. So I'm going to ask Natalie to um, come up again and tell us a little bit more about why the call, the instruction um, that she should choose life is so important. Okay, so this, this story is in the book and this is how, sorry, this is how it came to me. It was actually a morning when I knew probably later that day I was going to be told whether um, I actually ha had secondary cancer. I was expecting that phone call at night and that morning I thought, well, I've got jobs to do. I need to get them done because once I hear that, if it's not good, I just might not get round to it. So I went off to town with several jobs to do and the first one, it's very ordinary, I needed a pair of slippers and... I was thinking, if I'm not well, I'm, I, I really need, to, this is the beginning of winter, I need a good pair of slippers, a decent pair. So I was on my way doing that and I was in the shoe shop when the phone, my phone went and it was my oncologist. And he's, normally he would start a conversation with, is this a good time to talk? But on this particular occasion he didn't, he just went straight to it and he said, I'm sorry Natalie, but it, it is a secondary tumour from your breast cancer. Um, I know you'll have lots of questions. I'm seeing you on Thursday. I will just leave you with that. And there I was in a shoe shop with slippers all around me in my, my sock feet. And the radio, I remember, was going. This crazy pop music was playing and there were people everywhere. And I think I'm just standing here hearing this. It's ridiculous. But... I packed it all up, put everything away, and said a cheery goodbye to the girl at the checkout, and started heading off to find Selwyn, actually. He was down at his office down here. And the other job I had to do was to buy a birthday present for one of our grandchildren, who was about to turn five. And as I walked down the street, I felt my steps get heavy, my eyes lose their light, and I was just thinking, I've got to go home. I I, I'll just see someone and I'll go straight home. I can't do this, forget about it. Just, you've got to look after yourself, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly it was like it popped up in front of me, in my mind, you know, you have pop-up things happening everywhere. This was a pop-up that said, choose life. And it was vivid and real to me. It was choose life. And I had this internal conversation for a few minutes. Yes, but you, you really need to look after yourself. Get home. This is a big moment. Yes, but you need a pair of slippers. And you need to get that birthday present for Sophie. But how can I? I'm feeling this is just the biggest news I could have got. Choose life. And I suddenly realized choosing life is in the little things the little details that say, yes, I'm going to go on living. While there is a choice, that's what I've got to choose. And it's in the little things. And I carried on with my shopping trip. Got good purchases. 
I don't like to think of shopping as therapy normally, but on that particular day, it was just what I needed. Choose life, and I've held on to that ever since. Choose life, and whatever that means in any given situation on any day, choose life. Thank you. Right, so we're thinking today about choosing life, which is the famous declaration, instruction. It's sort of more than an instruction because it's so full of, um, of demand. From Deuteronomy chapter 30, which is famous. Today I set before you blessing and cursing death and life, therefore... Choose life. Now, as we've been reminded, life just goes on most of the time for us, but sometimes we have to make life-changing and life-affirming choices. Choices that are going to make a difference in our lives and maybe in the lives of many other people as well. And the way this comes to us in the book of Deuteronomy is that on the eve of their crossing into the promised land, they had a question. Were they going to simply settle in with the locals? Were they going to pursue the same goals for wealth accumulation according to the same economic model which involved a lot of child sacrifice? And if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find again and again and again, do not sacrifice your children in the way that the locals do? Or were they going to choose a radically different life, the life of a new people? 600 years later, the nation had again lost its identity and its direction, and the book of Deuteronomy as we have it now was collated and used by King Josiah in a program of national renewal around about the year 630 BC. So we have in the book of Deuteronomy a whole lot of rules for renewal, for direction. <clears throat> now, in contemporary culture, in the life of the church, renewal by rules and by strategic plans is something that is much debated. And it raises all kinds of critical issues about the relationship between the external structures and the internal motivation of our hearts. The structures of life and the things that burn within us. But I want us to think for a few moments about rules. Years ago, I took a bunch of school kids on a school uh, camp out to Wesleydale. I don't know if any of you know where Wesleydale was. I don't think it's there any longer, is it? Not as a camp, okay. Wesleydale was a camp right at the foot of the Mungatua Hills. It belonged to the Methodist Church. And we got these kids there. They all piled out of the cars, went into the school hall. And then it felt very remote even though it's relatively close to Dunedin, and you looked straight up onto the Mungatuas. It felt very wild and overpowering. The kids were all overawed by 
the sense of wilderness and they stuck to the school to the to the building like this none of them were willing to move they all just sort of stood there and looked up at the hill and they were overawed and it reminded me of a story that G.K. Chesterton tells about children who find themselves on a beautiful promontory above the sea surrounded by cliffs and they are terrified to move it looks like a great place to play but none of them can play until fences are put up around the edge of the cliff and once the fences are put up the children's life explodes it's within the fences that they find their freedom it was the fences according to Chesterton's story that enabled them to choose life incidentally book production seems to run in Natalie's family because her brother Rob has written a number of books and one of them is a book about the Ten Commandments and he's called it The Fences of Freedom. I went looking for it and couldn't find it yesterday or I would have been waving that around in front of you as well. So I want us to think a bit about the fences of Deuteronomy. Or it may be helpful for us to think not about fences that hem us in but about a well of water to which the stock come and where they find their lives refreshed. In fact, I read somewhere once that um, in Australia, well, of course, a lot of things have changed in Australia in the last couple of months. Australians used to say, we don't need fences, we just dig wells. Well, you could think of the fences of Deuteronomy as being like a pathway through a minefield and at the heart of this is the instruction love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and with all your mind now the interesting thing is that in Deuteronomy you don't get the instruction and your neighbor as yourself have to find that in other places but when it comes to Jesus loving the neighbor is an integral part of loving the Lord your God with all that you have and all that you are so how do we do this well <clears throat> Deuteronomy is rather repetitive Deuteronomy is a bit like a song in a way and a song that's got choruses and you come back to them again and again and again and there are some recurring themes in Deuteronomy how are we for time when do you finish Stu? We just roll on the okay right <coughs> 20 past okay but you've got communion to have as well alright recurring themes there are three that I would like to um, draw your attention to first of all Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength by nurturing your inner life, by nurturing your heart and mind in the ways and the love of God. Nurture it by prayer and by study, by reflection and contemplation. In um, chapter 6, we are told, teach all this to your children. 
Repeat it to yourselves every day. Tie them on your arms and on your foreheads. Write them on your doorposts and your gates. A couple of summers back, we were um, on holiday at Manapuri in the old camping ground there. I saw across the camping ground a guy. He suddenly put on a little skull cap. And then he pulled out these long straps and strapped up this arm and then he strapped up this arm and then he strapped this thing on his head. Here is a real observant Jew doing his daily prayers and acting out this, taking the heart of the law of God, which is that, you see, it's very short. You can fit it in a little box. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. Tie it on your arms. Strap it on your forehead. It's all very well for us to have all sorts of good ideas about the life of the church or what needs to happen in our community to come up with strategic plans and even have some rules and guidance and all the rest of it. But what kind of inner life is being nurtured? And you might have picked up from Natalie. To be able to choose life, to be able to live well in the face of all sorts of disappointment and even illness requires a lifetime of nurturing and inner life. A lot of people, hope she doesn't mind, this is sort of talking more about her than about Deuteronomy. A lot of people have uh, congratulated her on um, <clears throat> the way she's carried herself through this time. But I can say, it's not just because she's a buoyant, bubbly kind of personality. I can say that it's because I know about the prayer and the Bible reading and the other spiritual reading and the reflection, the time that is put into nurturing and inner life. So if we are to love the Lord our God in the way that Deuteronomy calls us to, if we are to be able to choose life in the face of new challenges, that is a vital thing for us to attend to. The second thing... <coughs> <clears throat> that I want to draw attention to out of Deuteronomy is we, are, we need to learn to live within the rhythms of creation. And in Deuteronomy, that is expressed again and again and again in instructions about the practice of Sabbath. Now, you might be a bit surprised to hear this, but people are rediscovering the importance of the practice of Sabbath. <clears throat> you see, Sabbath <clears throat> was not only about not working one day a week. There may be some of us who remember or who were brought up in conditions where Sunday was a holy day. Sunday you did no work. Sunday was the day that you hated because it was so boring. Do any of you remember Sundays like that? No? Well, you're lucky. <laughs> Sunday was the day 
when the Dunedin city fathers didn't want the botanical gardens open. And the side effect, of course, was that all the working classes couldn't go there on their one day off. That restriction didn't last very long. That is such a mockery of what the Sabbath is actually meant to be. Read the Sabbath passages in Deuteronomy and you will find that Sabbath is not only about having a rest on Sunday, but having a rest on Sunday is a wonderful thing to do. I remember as a student, I'd been brought up in a very, very strict kind of Sunday and one thing you never did was homework. And sometimes that proved very embarrassing on Monday morning. But I got to university and my first goal was to break out of all this. <sighs> and of course another way of breaking out of it all was to go swimming. So there I was on the back of my cousin's motorbike heading off through Mount Eden on a lovely hot February day to go swimming. And there were all these students at their desks with their windows open, studying on Sunday afternoon. I thought, oh, what could be worse than studying on a Sunday afternoon? And for the first time in my life, I realised what my parents had been trying to work into me with their restrictions about Sunday, with their concerns about Sabbath. To learn to take a real rest some of you know that in recent years um, I've had a bit to do with student life and for a wee while until I had my own health issues I was master of Knox College. Not something that sane people take on. And one of the things that struck me was how few of the students knew how to build rhythms into their lives. How few of the students knew how to take real time off, how to plan for time off in order that the rest of the time you can work well. So all this is part of Sabbath. It's all part of learning to love God by living within the rhythms of creation that God himself has established. So Sabbath is not just about taking a day off, but that is vitally important. Read the Sabbath instructions. It's also about economics. It's also about the way we recognise and care for our environment because it's about learning to live within the boundaries of creation. It's about learning to live within the fences that creation puts around us. Not only in matters of sexual morality but perhaps even more in matters of the market economy where today the vision is that there should be no boundaries, no restraints on growth. Our whole planet is suffering as a result of the fact that we have lost the Sabbath vision. Thirdly, we love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and although, as I've already said, Deuteronomy doesn't speak about loving your neighbour as yourself, we love the Lord in this way by living the call to love our neighbours, by practising justice, 
by practicing mercy and by practicing generosity. And those things too are outlined in considerable detail in Deuteronomy. How we go about doing this, pursuing justice, being merciful and being generous. Interestingly, given some of the debates that are going on in our country at the present time, a great deal of the generosity is to do with generosity towards migrants. So there's a lot of stuff in Deuteronomy that encourages us to choose life. But, despite the vision and despite the power of the call to renewal and to choose life, there are also things in the book of Deuteronomy that are terrifying. There are things that appear to be utterly destructive of life. I'm not going to go into the details, but if you really want to lose your hair, read Deuteronomy chapter 22. The instructions about various forms of rape. And you will realize that this is a book that despite all its wonders and all its affirmations of life is still a book that is not yet the fullness of God's word to us. It still carries all kinds of human stuff that is quite frankly scary. And that is why Christ comes. Christ comes and stands between us and this book. I'm going to take these glasses off for a moment and put these ones on. Can't see you quite so well now. Now I can't see my script either. We know, Stu's already mentioned it, God looks on us through Christ. Even when we are forgiven, even when we know that we have been renewed, we still are aware of our sinful natures. We still are aware of all sorts of stuff that we struggle with, stuff that we wouldn't want other people to know about, stuff that we even find difficult to talk to God about. But God looks on us through Christ and says, I love you. I see you as forgiven. We are going to work like that. It's as though God puts on Polaroid glasses. That's what these are for. It's as though God puts on Polaroid glasses. And those of you who know the theory about polarization know that Polaroid glasses cut out certain, not wavelengths of light, but who knows about it? Who can explain it better than me? Yeah, you can see the fish <laughs> because certain kinds of light are cut out by the Polaroid glasses and God sees us as though he's looking on us through Christ. These are not polarized. God looks on us as being in Christ and we 
ought to be looking on everything else through Christ in the same kind of way. Looking on one another as being through Christ and reading Deuteronomy also in the light of Christ. Christ is like polarizing glasses that enable us to see with greater clarity like the fish that Grant's just talked about that enable us to see with greater clarity the things in Deuteronomy that truly make for life but equally blocks out the things that are destructive of life and that will not be helpful and so we need to nurture our life in Christ. And as we nurture our life in Christ, we get to see with greater, greater clarity and we are indeed able to choose life.